to the Easy Living Poker Podcast. My name is Garen Kitan. I'm your host. This is episode 10 uh, on June 14th, 2023. Sorry, not 2024 yet. 2023, coming to you live from fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada at the Horseshoe Casino, um, the, the new branded Horseshoe Casino here in Las Vegas. Um, I am on my yearly World Series of Poker trip, and um, I wanted to get a podcast out there to everybody to let people know how things are going, um, and we'll go from there. So on this trip, originally I was planning on being out here from uh, the 10th through about the 17th, um, and that is, that's going to stay the same. I'm going to actually go back a day early, and I'll get to why here in a second, but um, or a little bit later. Um, on this World Series uh, trip, I ended up selling a little bit of action to some uh, friends and family, um, and I want to thank them. I appreciate all their uh, help and support. Um, I just did two events. I did an $800 World Series event and $1,100 Venetian event. Um, the $800 World Series event um, was um, a great experience. I actually, um, first tournament out here when I got here um, on the 11th of June, um, I played that, played made it 22 levels uh, cashing for my third uh, World Series of Poker Cash, so I was very happy with that. I ended up getting 463rd place out of 4,747 players, so I was very uh, happy with it. I, I kind of ran out of steam at the end. I lost, uh, I had to jam all in very short with 10s, and I got called by jacks and queens, and the, uh, the queens ended up scooping the entire pot, and that's how um, I was knocked out. I wanted to give a shout out today on our podcast to uh, a new friend, a, a good guy by the name of Fletcher from Nova Scotia. Um, this gentleman is 67 years young, he told me, and uh, this was his first ever trip to Las Vegas. To He'd always been dreaming of playing out here at the World Series. Um, you know, he'd been in the casino industry uh, in his younger years, and um, he finally made it out here, and he ended up cashing alongside me in his first ever uh, World Series event, so I was really happy for him. Great guy. Um, a little background story on on him and how the dynamics of it. So we were at like level twenty, I believe, in this tournament. These were thirty minute levels, so we started at ten a.m. in the morning, and we are like, um, you know, late into deep into the night. And um, he got moved to our table um, with I think he might have had. 70,000 in chips left and the big blind was like 10,000 I think it was like 5,000 10,000 10,000 were the were the levels so he had like six or seven big blinds total left I, I can't remember the exact number but I at the time had like about 180,000 ish 100 in chips 170,000 um, so I was like not like on complete life support but I was getting shorter at the time as well and in this big of a tournament with that many players still um Playing, I think it was like 713 people made the money. So when we got down to like 900 or so people, that big of a field tournament, you're going to have them a lot of players dropping like flies, you know, like just, you know, just because there's so many people and it's such a huge field and there's so many small stacks at that time that they're going to drop off. So he was just hoping that he could survive and cash. And he just kept folding, kept folding, and uh, finally woke up with a hand. I believe he had... Um, can't remember his exact hand now. I would have to ask him again. But he doubled, okay, to get his stack up to about two hundred and forty thousand with the blinds and he's more than doubled. He like tripled up and survived. And then we all uh 
exuberantly were happy when the money bubble burst and everybody's in the money with a min cash of, I think the min cash was $1,280. So we keep playing and we burst a couple more levels down. So it's like the second tier of cash was like, I think it was like $1,400. And then my cash, when I got knocked out, ended up being $1,600. So I doubled the buy-in. Um, he got, and I were in that same hand that, and got knocked out on the same hand. So I had, he, he jammed uh, basically under the gun and I looked down at tens right after him, so I jam, and everybody else folds, and the big blind wakes up with queens. So he, Fletcher had the jacks, I had tens, and uh, the big blind uh, had queens. And so Fletcher and I both got knocked out. But the funny thing was, is at the time, he had like five thousand or ten thousand more in total chips than me. When we, I think I had like ninety thousand. I had been blinded down to ninety, and he had like a hundred and ten, I think, or something like that. So technically, Fletcher. Uh, when we got knocked out, he beat me. He got 462nd place because we, when we got knocked out on the same hand, he had more chips than me uh, going into it. So it was kind of funny. We we both just sat there and we chatted more in the line while waiting to get our um, our payout. And um, one other thing I wanted to uh, tell, this is a little bad beat story, but Fletcher, he when he was up to about 230 or 40,000 in chips, he got so unlucky. Like he could have gone a much deeper run. He had pocket aces, okay, uh, black aces spade and club and he made a standard raise like an early position and it got all the way around to the button and a guy that was shorter like he still had about 150,000 chips so like I think it was at the time like right at 10 big blinds he um, jammed all in and Fletcher of course calls and he had the guy totally crushed uh, his aces versus ace deuce of diamonds and the flop was three diamonds just right out the chute and causing Fletcher to lose a big part of his stack and then ultimately get knocked out on the very, like, I think next or two hands after that with with the Jacks versus Tens versus Queens hand. So I want to give a shout-out to him. Great guy. Um, I hope you can tell all your poker buddies up in Nova Scotia about our podcast. And uh, please send in uh, any uh, questions or hands you want to have talked about on the podcast, and I'll be more than happy to... Uh, do that and then maybe somehow we can find a way to get you on here and get you interviewed at some point but really appreciate meeting you and uh hopefully we can meet up today on our last day here um so today like i said is june 14th yesterday i played uh my second tournament the venetian 1100 um it was a great tournament um and i want to give a huge shout out to a, to a, a friend of mine not really i don't really know him that well i know him through another friend but eddie from jacksonville uh, man, he, he finished third place in the previous 1100 event um, that was held at the Venetian um, for like 53,000 and change. So I want to give him a shout out. Congratulations. Uh, well deserved. Uh, the guy is an absolute crusher. Uh, and ended on top of it, he's just a really nice guy. So congrats on that, Eddie. Um, and then my tournament, like I said, was yesterday. Started off really hot. Uh, 40,000 starting stack with uh, long levels and. I built up, I think, to about sixty-five thousand in chips. So I was at the at the peak of it, and then um, throughout the tournament, there's just things that happen. You know, like you, you. I had a lot of hands where I raised with like you know ace king suited or ace queen suited, and I would get flops of like you know. Uh, one of them was ace king of spades, and it became ten six deuce all hearts. So there's no way you could possibly really um, make any money off that hand after that happens. Um, it, it's just definitely tougher. But uh, I ultimately kind of blinded down and was just grinding, grinding, grinding for levels up to like the 12th level, um, which is when the registration ends. And I um, I woke up with um, 
pocket nines on the button. So there was like a, there was a raise in er, uh, middle position. And then I had like, I almost shoved pre, but then I was like, no, let's just, I, I had one, I could, I was still a big enough stack where I could just make a call on the button with the nines and more or less set mine. Um, and in hindsight, it wouldn't have changed anything even though I shoved, but I think I had about 25 big blinds. So I did make a call and somehow the big blind, or sorry, small blind, who was a very good player, and I seriously still can't believe this happened, but also called, and the big blind called behind. So there's four people to the flop. The flop came king, nine, four. Okay, so I have middle set, like second best possible hand you can have. So I'm, I'm finally thinking, okay, here we go. I've got four people on the hook. I'm going to at least double, hopefully, maybe triple. If somebody, you know, has a set of fours or a king, you know, ace, king, and a set of fours would be the dream scenario. But... Um, to my dismay, the small blind that had just flatted um, actually had pocket kings. So it went around to me, and uh, it checked around to me, and I made like a one-third pot bet. And the small blind uh, called, everybody else folds, and then the turn came off like a six, I think. And then I just, he checked, and I jammed the rest of my stack in, and he just snapped off. And that was the end of that tournament. So I really don't feel bad. There's nothing you can do in that situation. I just told him good game and walked away from the table. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's how that one went. So overall, though, it's been a very good trip. I mean, one out of two caches in the tournament is good. It didn't really make um, a ton of money. You know, I made money on the one tournament and then lost the other one. But I was able to get the backers, you know, that the little bits of money that they sent me, most of their money back in terms of uh, winning. So overall, it was a good, a good run. Um, very close. I, I felt like the World Series tournament, like if I could have just... There's certain things in World Series events where you just have to you just have to keep grinding and never give up, no matter how, you know, necessarily short. The, the structures are so good that you have time to wait for your hands and your spots. And and I tell you what, man, there's I see a lot of people in poker that will get down to like even 20, 15, 20 big blinds or even 14, 13 big blinds, and they freak out thinking they got to go all in and just jam. I can I have grinded uh, or you know a short stack with ten to twelve big blinds for for five or six of these long levels it can be done and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you get your you know your kings all in against somebody and you double and pick up all the blinds and he's on top of it and then you know two hands later you get another hand where you're in position and you have a big big pot so you can literally go from that little baby stack to spin it up to a huge stack to potentially make a deep run so there there can't be any give up in these tournaments that's one thing one piece of advice i would give everybody um and go from there. So today, um, I also do have a guest on the show today. It is my father. A uh, little background before I introduce him. John Kitan is his name. He's a, a legend, okay? Um, he is uh, coming to Vegas on his, it was a 65th birthday present from yours truly. Got him. And uh, so he, he kind of came on the journey and was watching. He doesn't play poker, but he came on and um, he, he's just very interested in seeing it. And so I'm going to introduce him. Welcome, Dad. Well, thank you, Garen. Yep. It's great to be here. Yep. So your 65th birthday. Uh, how? Uh, how? How? Tell everybody how long it's been. First of all, since you've been to Vegas. Well, it was 42 years ago. Your mother and I got married, June 27th, 1981, 
and we stayed about three days out here, which was at the uh, Imperial, Palace, Imperial Palace, which is now the Link. The Link, yes. And so were it looks you like well, it looks like the pool's gone that we just set out and got fried at, you know. Yeah, so yeah. which it just blows my mind. How That's awesome. So how many do you remember about though? Besides Imperial Palace and Caesars, were how many other hotels, casinos were there? Was well, it just those two? Harris, Flamingo. Oh, had, had okay, so old, you had Harris. You had all the old. Was there you know, was MGM around or was that? Uh, I think MGM was around, uh, but at the same time we didn't do it. You know, we were just kind of relaxing, getting out of you know. Living in Lincoln, Nebraska, it was hot and humid there. We got down here, and it was just plain hot. Yeah. And it felt like it was cool <laughs> without the humidity. So, yeah. needless to say, your mother and I sit by the pool, got fried, and, uh, and your mother being fun. a nurse, and she almost went into <laughs> heat strokes. So. Yeah, yeah, probably having too many of those, uh, we had too many of those few, drinks. and we had a few uh, cocktails. Catches up to you. <laughs> no, I, I tell you what, when you're, if you've never been to Vegas, it, it, it the it's so dry that, like, even if you're drinking water pretty steadily or consistently, um, you can like, you get dehydrated quick. And especially if you're drinking, like say you having a few alcoholic beverages and stuff and you're outside, it happens a hundred times faster than anywhere else I've ever been. So like you can go from fully, uh, you go fully parched in like 30 minutes. Like it's crazy. Um, so anyway, so when you were here on that trip, you have a, a funny story uh, to tell us? Okay, this, have, this is a Vegas we, story from 42 a, years ago. <laughs> we, you know, coming from Nebraska, we're, you know, we invite everybody into the world. You know, we're just nice people. And uh, growing up on a farm, helping everybody out, uh, like I did, uh, we, we get down here and we're by the pool, and this guy befriends me. And uh, we're sitting there, just start chatting, whatever. And he had a, you know, he was probably 45 to probably 50 years old. And he had a pretty young uh, chick with him. Mm-hmm. And like classic his, his his daughter's age yeah <laughs> which I'm okay. sure. and uh <clears throat> i think his name was domingo and uh my name is domingo of, and, How are and, you? <laughs> and the funny thing about it is he said he had a chain of of hotels somewhere in mexico and really didn't want to know where the others were at <laughs> you know one of those things that's like less is more but anyway we're getting kind of hot and he says well he, he kept telling me, you you shouldn't get married. You know, I'll never forget that. My wife looking at him like, you know, you should go drown in the pool. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and I'm like, no, buddy, it's, you know, maybe that's your whatever. But anyway. And he said, well, hey, why don't we come back up to the room? It's hot and whatever. And my wife, you know, your mother being, you know, fried yeah. like a lobster. And I wasn't much better. Anyway, we go up there to his room. And we thought, okay, we'll have a drink, and then we'll we'll, we'll call it, you know, quits and whatever. And, and so we get in a room, and there's four lines of cocaine. And I thought, you know, buddy, uh, we're done. We're yeah. done right here. And if, 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 if you know. Oh, man, yeah. And I'm like, uh, don't try anything, because I'll send you through the wall. I was just like, I was I was so pissed off. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, he's son of a, you know. Yeah. And, and but this the scout, has- well, the scout is this chick he had with him had scars all over oh yeah so her it was arm it was just it was, it was a, my wife go you know just big so you got basically like <laughs> asked to come back to the hotel room by a couple druggies i, and, I think yeah. i think he was probably had, a cartel member well he, he thought we were going to share but anyway yeah. yeah uh but anyway my wife asked what you know how'd you get those scars 
oh, I tripped out on quaaludes and fell through a shower door. And my wife, like, I'm out of here, you know. Yeah. So, anyway. Okay. But we just kind of, you know. Shit. That's a pretty crazy story. It, it was, you know, my, your your mother still has the card. His business, his business card. card. Wow, that's insane. No, we keep. That everything. is my mother. She does keep everything. She so. keeps everything. That's a nurse in her. Yeah, but so she's a um, wonderful lady, and she let you... me come out on this trip. She goes, "No, you go have fun," and uh, and so I mean, it's amazing to me to see Vegas. Uh, it's always been fast. Yeah. Okay. These younger kids, you know, that I see playing poker. There's a lot of young kids. I notice yeah. there's not as many women, which kind of surprises me yeah. because. I've tried to get Amy to be. Able well, they to know everything. Life. I've tried you know. to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you be very well, careful there. Well, no, I'm just saying. But they are I, very sharp. Yeah, on, I've tried to on, get Amy to play my wife because she's very instinctual. She's she would be a very good poker player because she could read people. I'm telling you, she could. Um, but she just doesn't have any desire to. Maybe down the road someday she will. But maybe now that she, uh, well, I'll get to that here in a second. Now she has a little bit of downtime, um, and I'm not meaning to make light of this coming up but uh all right so what are your overall thoughts how do you think of vegas now in terms of like what what are your thoughts now well like- when when we were here there were always the you know you had craps you had uh, the uh 21 you yeah, had your Jack, basically yeah. you know backrack all the well, what do you think you know, of it now how has it changed but it's changed? it's you know what i see when i go to the casino you've got you know it's just expanded tremendously yeah. every there are machines everywhere there's the you know the slots everywhere but they've really de- done a great job of designating areas for playing poker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got asthma and smoke bothers you, and I've got a little bit of asthma and kind of bothers me. So it's kind of nice that they've got a clean area for, you know, when you're when yes. you're playing poker, you want to have, you've got to have the least distractions. Yes. Okay. Yep. And you've got one of those analytical minds. I mean, you, you're a numbers yeah. kid. You always have been. And so I knew if you got into that, you know, and understood that, and and part of it is you know understanding how where you're at on the table, yeah, and what cards fly. You know, so what did you think of the whole, more about it? But the whole thing was just amazing. What did you think of the whole just seeing all the tables when you saw that? It was just amazing. Yeah, and how many, how much work went into getting this yeah. done? Yeah, yeah, and the amount of people, and they didn't miss a lick. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was not a. I never, because I walked around, well, you were playing what I yeah. walked around and looked at a lot of things. Yeah. I didn't see anything what I would call out of line. I mean, mm-hmm. everything was right perfect. So, uh, yeah. you know, one thing about it, you know, if you're going to play poker and you, you do a tours like this, mm-hmm. where you can go in there and, and not a lot of money, 800 bucks is not a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but it's not in the mm-hmm. big real, you know. And you can learn a lot, and I, I know you've learned a lot. You told me about it, and I listen to your podcasts, and and everybody have on this guests, and I got to meet Fletcher, yeah. nice guy, yeah, and uh, you know he's a couple years older than me, so I feel a little better about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so, um, in, the, in this segment now, what I'm going to do is before we this episode is probably going to be not too much longer, but I want to uh, I'm going to do a strategy segment real quick. I want to talk about a hand. Um, that I played, and it's a topic that was brought up to me um, last night uh, by a, uh, a guy that I just happened to meet also at the table. I'd never got his name, um, but he was uh, he was talking about how like one of the toughest spots to be in in a tournament is when you're like relatively close to the money, but still have maybe like say let's let's just say there's uh, 500 people left and top 300 get paid or ish or so around there, and. You, you've got a middling stack, like you've got maybe 30 to 40 big blind range stack, 
versus you're not short, but and you're not like a big, big stack. So like literally right in the middle of the field-ish, maybe a little bit above average, slightly. And his biggest, his question was like, you know, I just don't know how to play my, you know, my hand, like my middle pairs, like eights, nines, tens, jacks, and, and the, the strategy behind that is what he was basically saying is, you know, I want to be making and accumulating chips, but I don't want to, um, you know, I, I don't want to go busto. You know, it, there's a fine line between being too conservative and playing correctly. You know, being too conservative or playing too loose, uh, there's a good balance. Now, some players play extremely conservative and are successful. Uh, not as many, in my opinion. And then there's other people that are way loose that that are very successful. And I would the way loose and way conservative, I actually don't think those two types – don't win as much. I think it's the ones that are more about somewhere between middle of the road, like right, right about a, a conservative-ish player to more aggressive, like somewhere somebody that's not crazy, but somebody that's definitely going to play a lot more hands. So I told him, like for example, if he were to have his po- his his hand that he wanted to talk about was pocket tens, and his, his situation was there was a uh, he was middle position, like under the gun plus two, okay. And he had tens, and he made a standard raise, like, to two and a half big blinds out of his, like, 30 big blind stack. And then Button, who's got about 35 big blinds, so has him covered 38 big blinds, then makes, the, makes a raise to eight big blinds, or seven big blinds, and how to proceed going through playing that. So if I had that situation where I'm in middle position and I made a raise to two and a half big blinds, and then I had a guy raise to, like, triple my bet, basically seven big blinds would be just over tripling it. And then say, let's just say the blinds fold out and it comes back to me. You got to honestly in that spot think of you, you have a good stack to probably cash and continue moving on in the tournament, but you also are going to want to accumulate chips. So what you have to think about is what type of player is this player? He's, in, he's got position on you, first of all, so that's a bad thing. You're going to be out of position the whole hand. That's not good. You want to try to play when you're in that middling stack position, in my opinion. I think one thing that's really helped me is I, I, you can't necessarily play every hand in position. It just depends on. I mean, if you have aces in the small blind, you got to play them, obviously, right, out of position. But if you play more hands in position when you're at that element or that part of a tournament, that stage of a tournament, I think it really helps accumulate chips because there's going to be many more opportunities for you just to make continuation bets and other uh, in position bets just to steal pots, even when you don't necessarily have a main hand or a super strong hand. So in his situation, I told him there's a couple options you could look at. Um, you know, does the button now does is the button player is he is he a very aggressive player? Is he conservative? How's he playing? Everything is in game evaluated. Like you have to watch and, and observe how people play to see what type of possibility is. If he's a a really good player with um, you know fairly aggressive, tight and aggressive, like. He's probably raising you with with tens plus, and you have two tens, so it's probably jacks plus, and like ace queen suited or better. Like usually going to be. Now that's that's really that's pretty tight, or I mean that's like the top top hands. There are going to be sometimes if he's a good player, like if he has good balance, he's going to raise you sometimes with like you know jack ten suited there or like seven eight suited. But you have to think of it from his perspective too. If he's only barely got you covered by about 35-ish or 38 big blinds, he's kind of in the same spot as you. He doesn't have a, you know, a 90 or 100 big blind stack like somebody leading the tournament. So he's also got to think about, you know, situations like this. So in my opinion, I think 
like I said, is totally player dependent. If you think this person is a very good player that's going to balance his range completely, um, I don't mind calling preflop. But the problem is, is you're more or less turning tens into it. You're just set mining, and if you don't hit, what happens when the board comes eight five three? You know, and he then you check to him, and then he makes a uh, fires a bet, and you call, uh, you know, call a bet, and then the turn is like a a king. What are you going to do? You know, like there's so many scenarios you got to think of. He could already have you beat just with a higher overpair as is, or he's going to be able to. There's other cards later on that he's going to be able to bluff you off of because those cards are going to hit his range, and it ultimately just comes down to position. So in my opinion, uh, it's a it's a weird scenario. I I don't. I would. Pro- I'm trying to think. If, if I was in this spot, if it was a if it was a tighter player, this sounds crazy, but I would find a fold here. It's it's not. I don't want to be folding pocket tens all the time because that's a pretty strong hand. But if it's more of a looser player, or somebody that is wild or more aggressive, those tens with that thirty big blind stack, if it's that type of player, I really don't have a problem with then re-raising him or maybe jam four bet jamming all in because like. There's if there's if you think there's over half the time he could be doing that with something like squirrely, then I, I think it's an okay play. But it, I uh, I just wanted to acknowledge this situation uh, in tournaments that it gets it gets really difficult, um, and sometimes you just gotta it's crazy but sometimes you have to let the best players will make great great laydowns and very strong hands they will lay down in certain situations because they know that the range advantage or the range of a certain player just because of how they play is just it has them crushed and there's no point in wasting any more of their money so um it's a really good and i i agree with the the person that i talked to last night it is a tough spot to think of like because pocket tens is a good hand to raise but you have to um you just got to be willing to i mean you could call on this call and then see a flop and if it if you don't hit your said tens and he's he's very aggressive and fires out bets you can always fold at that point. I think that's not a bad play because you'd still have, um, you know, 20... After you'd call the raise, you'd still have about 23 or 24 big blinds. And if you don't hit or or if you do hit, um, your implied odds are huge because, you're, you know, if you flop comes 10 high, you're going to probably stack the player if they have any overpair. Um, so that's... And that's one thing, too, is if you're also doing this in a scenario with a huge stack, like let's just say this guy is a big stack that he knows he knows that you are in the middling position and have a good stack and don't want to get in the danger zone okay so i'm telling you big stack poker if you're a good player you're going to put pressure in position all the time and make people have tough decisions like this that's the best players in my opinion to do that so you also got to take that into account um there's no rhymer there's no exact science to it it's all in the end comes down to your gut instincts, your reads of the day, how you feel the table has been playing, how that particular person is playing, like those dynamics come into play and then you just have to make the best decision that you possibly can and think it through. And at the end of the day, don't beat yourself up. If you make the wrong decision and you jam and he ends up with jacks, like good game, you know, like, but I don't, uh, I don't necessarily uh, like I definitely like the jam if it's a, of a loose, aggressive player. I like a jam there. I don't mind that and try to just take it down there without a flop. And then if you do get called, you just, you're just you probably in a coin flip or um, hopefully not behind. There's a possibility you could have nines or eights, so you never know. But that was just a, a strategy thought that I had for everybody, um, and it does come up pretty much in a lot of tournaments, so you got to be mindful of that.
and keep on building the stack. Um, one thing I want to mention, so my trip is going to end um, on the 15th tomorrow. So this is our last day here in Vegas. I want to give a huge hug and shout out to my wife, Amy. Um, she is a CrossFit beast um, and she competed last weekend uh, in the Atlantic, uh, Atlantic Coast Classic in Daytona. And unfortunately in her sixth and final event, she ruptured her Achilles tendon. So I wanna, uh, I can't wait to see her. I'm coming back tomorrow. Uh, she was uh, planning on coming out here to Vegas and spending a few days. And then we were uh, gonna go on a trip to Hawaii, but that is not going to happen for obvious reasons. Um, but she just underwent surgery yesterday, very successful. Um, doctor um, has said that she can make a full recovery. So I am looking forward to getting back to seeing her and Lola, my pup, and making sure she's on the mend so that in about six months, we'll do a big blow it out uh, trip somewhere to celebrate her being um out of that so i just wanted to um tell her i love her and i'll see you soon all right did you have any final thoughts oh, i just Pops? appreciate the trip out here it was yeah fun. hell yeah we're gonna it, start doing this more often like we're, we might we might make this a yearly uh, oh yeah the one other thing is it's a hell of a lot more expensive than it was. Oh, years yeah. Ago. <laughs> you ain't a kidding, brother. Uh, the cheapest beers out here now are about $11 with tax. And uh, if you want any, like... And if you want them cold, it's another five bucks. No, <laughs> yeah. not, not really, but... Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. The price has gone up a lot, but... Um, anyway. I've had a blast. Yeah. I've had a blast. This well, thank you great. all. Um, thank you for being here. Yep. Uh, love you, man. And... Love you, too. Till next time, keep on easy living. <laughs>